0: Money FM eighty nine point three, best of breakfast. The bigger picture only on Money FM eighty nine point three. The commodity space is in focus this week as a major oil and energy industry conference gets underway in Singapore, called the Asia Pacific Petroleum Conference, also known as APAC. The event will throw the spotlight on various pressing issues such as oil's future and also the debate around energy security versus sustainability. Oh, to help us along, we've got Sagata Saha. He is the president of S&P Global Commodity Insights, who is in Singapore for the event. Sagata, thanks for joining us on the show.
1: Ryan, well, delighted to be here. Thanks All for right. having me.
0: So you're at the event, and of course, we've got a few big themes that are going to be high on the agenda. Give us a sense of what we can expect, and as well, the backdrop when it comes to economics and politics, where these discussions will be taking place against.
1: Yeah, Ryan, uh, we are very excited to be back with APEC uh, in Singapore. And APEC, as you and know, I hope your uh, listeners know, that it's uh, one of the major premier uh, oil, gas and energy conferences that happens in Asia. And uh, this is a special one because it's the 39th anniversary of APEC and just kind of tells you the lasting nature of um, you know these topics in, um, in Asia. APEC uh, is, uh, you know, the place where uh, leaders across the industry come together, have some meaningful conversations about some of the most pressing topics. And the highlight for this year is uh, energy trilemma. What's energy trilemma? Well, uh, we've all heard about everything that needs to be done to reduce the carbon footprint of the energy we consume, get to a path to net zero. But it's not easy. Energy trilemma is hard because uh, there are three things one has to. Trade off or find a good balance among to get to that net zero solution. Energy sustainability, affordability, and security. And you can't just start for one at the cost of the other, uh, other two. And that's going to be a big focus of our conference uh, this year. We've heard speakers yesterday, we're hearing, going to hear speakers today, and uh, it should be another productive and fruitful set of discussions. Delighted to be here.
0: Energy trilemma, that's going to be in focus. So when you look at what's happening in Singapore, what are your views on where Singapore is and the energy outlook in Asia when it comes to the transition and as well as the progress that we are making towards that net zero carbon emission goal?
1: Firstly, Ryan, you know, energy's relative success in decarbonizing is going to be possibly one of the most important factors in determining whether the world can effectively decarbonize and get to net zero. Uh, Just because, you know, the size of the economies in Asia, the population, the growth that we are going to see over the next few years. Now, uh, the good news is that, uh, you know, the countries in Asia have made lots of positive commitments and strides in getting to a better path towards net zero. The challenge is that, uh, you know, it's not enough even by 2050 or 2060 to get to a net zero scenario. Um, You know, CO2 emissions in Asia is going to continue to rise over the course of the next uh, decade. But these are also optimistic that clean energy supplies will catch up with total demand growth. Uh, But, you know, the overall outlook is more work needs to be done. Now, for Singapore specifically, emissions will peak much faster than the overall, than the rest of Asia, largely because, uh, you know, the relatively high degree of development in Singapore and significant commitment and ability to execute on all these large transformational projects. Um, now, one of the challenges Singapore is going to have is we think about renewable energy. A lot of renewable energy uh, generation is land intensive, and that's not something, something that there have a lot of in Singapore. So Singapore is going to really have to think creatively about how to import um, uh, low carbon intensity energy, whether it's hydrogen, green hydrogen, mm. electricity, etc. But overall, I say, you know, I feel positive about uh, the tone and uh, the commitment that I see across Asia and in particular Singapore uh, to make that transition. And the last thing I would say is that we shouldn't forget the role carbon credits will play in helping do this decarbonization uh, journey over the next several decades.
0: Yeah, so Gotta just to expand on what you've just mentioned, um, when it comes to Asia, it's not homogeneous. You've got some countries progressing further ahead and others in a more emerging state. When it comes to energy policies, I suppose there's a gap that needs to be uh, addressed when it comes to transitioning.
1: Yeah, and you know that's a big part of what you're hearing globally and even within regions, the so-called north-south divide, right? Because, uh, you know, there is an assertion that uh, not everybody is starting out at the same place. Not everybody has the same resources to do the decarbonization. So how do we make sure that the decarbonization happens in a way that is, um, you know, just and meaningfully does not leave economies behind or leave large sets of populations behind as, uh, you know, countries also, while decarbonizing, try to make their populations wealthier, more productive, create jobs. Uh, all of these need to happen. It's uh, you know it's really gets really hard from public policy perspective if you just try to solve for one dimension mm. at the cost of the others. So we think that there's a few things that will happen. One is um, this whole transition is going to be nonlinear. Um, and uh, by nonlinear, I mean you know there'll be fits and starts, right? There'll be uh, there'll be occasions when things move rather fast. There'll be inflection points. And then there will be occasions when things will slow down, you know. Geopolitical events might switch the dialogue towards security as opposed to transition, et cetera. So you'll see a lot of that happening. The second I would say is that um, you will see a lot more integrated all of the above approaches. because I think there is a pretty strong recognition that um, nobody really wants to make one large bet and assume that that's gonna play out and let's say just hydrogen alone or carbon capture alone uh, will be a part of the, will be the solution. I think we'll see more and more all of the above approaches. And then the third thing I would say, we've got to be pragmatic about this. Um, yes, the mix of hydrocarbons in the overall um, energy mix will shift a lot. It'll, it'll shrink a lot over the next uh, several decades. But we don't forecast a scenario in which hydrocarbons will, quote-unquote, go away. Even if you look at some of the 2050 scenarios that we've uh, modeled out, the uh, role of hydrocarbons in the overall energy mix will be somewhere between 40 to 60%. Yes, it'll be a lot lower than, you know, the 95% in the recent past, but it's still going to be a- around. And then the last thing I would say, you know, technological, scientific engineering and technological advances will be needed to kind of create more energy uh, efficient uh, use and also find new sources of large scale energy. And, uh, we are quite bullish that uh, you know Asia, with all of its technological prowess, will be able to lead the way on delivering on some of those promises.
0: Yeah, so Gata, that's a great point. Technological advances definitely have a role to play. So, how can data, technology, and AI continue to optimize energy consumption and promote energy efficiency?
1: It's a great question, Ryan. Um, you know, I've, I've often used the line, um, part in the past that uh, energy transitions will be fueled by data and uh, technology, right? Uh, a lot of uh, the decisions that need to be made, a lot of the uh, big al- optimization decisions that need to be made or capital allocation decisions that need to be made over the next uh, few years can only be made if people have access to good quality data, insight, benchmark, um, that helps them make those decisions with conviction, as you know in, in the energy business you know decisions tend to be you know large they typically have a billion attached to them and uh, the cost of getting it is wrong is pretty high and right now there is there is a situation in the world where people are looking for they're grappling with hey what will the future look like how do i make decisions that i can tell my stakeholders this is the best decision to be made and that's where high-quality benchmarks, data, insights, um, you know, play an important role. And that's where we spend our time at S&P Global Commodity Insights. Uh, we are essentially a provider of um, benchmarks, data, insights, software, and services to help companies in that journey, to help uh, institutions make that journey with conviction. And... Uh, Conversations like ASIC are important mm. because it gives us a sense of what's on people's minds, what are people uh, looking to solve, and it helps us tell uh, people what are some of the ways we are here to help customers and uh, stakeholders navigate
0: the future. All right, lots of pressing issues to discuss at the Asia Pacific Petroleum Conference that's underway in Singapore right now. We've been chairing Sagata Saha, he's the president of SP Global Commodity Insights. So, Gata, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.